chapter 5 and verse 21 through 43. As I said, my message today is desperate for a miracle. And just by way of review, last week we were studying the, the first part of the book of Mark, and we know that Jesus and his disciples had sailed to the shore of a Gentile region known broadly as the Decapolis, and it was there that they encountered a terribly demonized man who identified himself as legion, which means many demons, perhaps thousands of demons lived in this man. And this was a bizarre story. It was kind of a scary story for the disciples, but Jesus cast all the demons out of the man and the demons asked if Jesus would permit them to go into the pigs. There were thousands of pigs right there in that region. And Jesus permitted, as he cast the demons out of the man, they went into the pigs. The pigs went berserk and they rushed down the bank and drowned themselves in the Sea of Galilee. It says that all the people that were there saw this and ran into the town and they told the townspeople what happened. Now, I have no idea what you would say or how you would communicate a demonized man named Legion who just experienced an exorcism of sorts and these demons go into the pigs and the pigs rush down the bank and they drown themselves. I don't know how they explain that, but anyways, the Bible says that they explained what had happened and all the townspeople come out and they see that this demonized man is now sitting, he's clothed, he's in his right mind and then they're looking at the pigs that are in the sea. And as they look at this situation, this is what they say to Jesus, please leave our region. And that's exactly what Jesus and his disciples do. And now they jump into the boat and they're heading back to Capernaum all in one day's work. And verse 21 in Mark chapter five says this, when Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him. And so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him or he begged him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And he went off with him and a large crowd was following him, pressing in on him, crushing him is sort of what the terminology could mean. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And immediately Jesus perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, he turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this, but the woman fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well, or your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus overhearing what was being spoken said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official and he saw a commotion, people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, why make a commotion and weep? The child is not died, but is 
asleep. Look at verse 40. They begin laughing at Jesus. They're not going to laugh for very long, are they? Watch this. But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions, and he entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum. Now, that's Aramaic, and if I didn't say it right, I didn't say it right. But it's translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk for she was 12 years old. Immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said something should be given her to eat. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. When Jesus and his disciples land on the shore of Capernaum, they're again met with expectant crowds. In fact, they're waiting for Jesus to come back, and he does. And the text even tells us that Jesus, as he's making his way through the crowds, they're pressing in on him, they're crushing him. But now all of a sudden, we see two individuals approach him, sort of emerge out of the crowd, which are the stories that we're reading. And these two are suffering deeply for very different reasons. And both of them come with a tangible desperation that distinguishes them from everyone else that is pressing in on him. And I was thinking about miracles and thinking about our lives, and I have a rhetorical question for you today, and that is this. Have you ever been desperate for a miracle in your life or for someone in your life? Have you ever been desperate? Now, I don't know how you would define desperate. I don't know what that would look like if we were to discuss it and say, what did desperation look like in, in your life? But I know for sure whether we could define or we could definitely say that we were desperate at some point, we all have been in a place where we need miracles. We all need God's intervention. And when I'm talking about the miraculous, I, I don't just mean something that we say is miraculous. Like we say a lot of things are miraculous in life and they're actually not really well-defined as a miracle, like a divine intervention. So what we're talking about is genuine divine intervention. We're talking about God's ability to do what we cannot do. And friends, I don't know about you, but I see the need for miracles all the time. And there are times where I have watched God do something that people cannot do. And what a beautiful thing that is, to see the hand of God, to see the work of God, to see the miraculous happen in our world that could not be described in any other way than God did something amazing because that's just who he is. How many of you have seen God answer a prayer in your life? How many of you have had a, a healing happen in your body or in someone you love or know or, or maybe a deliverance or a changed heart? Come on, you're looking at a miracle today. I don't mean to personify this in myself, but I certainly feel like I'm a walking miracle because I was the last in line to, for anybody to say that guy's gonna choose Jesus or ever be a pastor. And, and that's the reality of it is that many of us have experienced the miraculous of God and that's why we're here today. Friend, you're here today because you've experienced God's mighty work in your life. And so if you did not know what kind of church you came into today, believe me, by the end of the service, you will know that we're a church that believe God does miracles. And you know, if you haven't seen it initially, it doesn't mean he won't do it eventually. Well, that's why we pray, because we're calling out to a God who knows what to do when we don't. We're calling out to a God that can do even when we can't. God is a miraculous God. There's a scripture that Foursquare churches are known for. We're supposed to have it up in our sanctuary. It hasn't made its way up there yet, but it's Hebrews 13, 8. And that's Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
And there's a context to that verse, but it certainly is true. Jesus still does what Jesus has always done. He has not changed. His nature has not changed. His supernatural, that aspect to him, of him working mightily, has not changed. And as I was looking at this passage, I couldn't help but just think about miracles. But there's something important to look at when you consider the miraculous of God, particularly as we study a passage in the Bible. And that is the context of the miracle. You look at the people who received from God. They drew that power from Jesus. There are a lot of people in the crowd, friends. There's so many people that are not named, that are not talked about, that are not written about. But the people that are written about, the context is something that we have to look into. We've got to observe some aspects of what was it about them and their posture that drew on that power from God. I, I want to learn from them today. And so I want to talk to you about the pain of a parent I want to talk to you about the desperation of a diseased woman, and, and then if we have time, we'll land on, of course, the compassion of Jesus. But let's talk for a moment about the pain of this parent in the story. In verse 22, here's what it says. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and on seeing him, he fell at his feet, and he begged him, the word implore there, but he begged him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Now this Greek word here is eschaton. And it's, it's a word that we derive our term eschatology, the study of last things. When you say eschatology, that's what we're talking about. But this word, she was at the point of death, eschaton, which means that she's literally at her final day. She's taking her last breath. So when the father comes up, the pain that he's experiencing, he's saying, my daughter is is dying and she is on her last, she is at her last day. And I, I need you to come in. And he says to her this, please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. The fact here is that Jairus is, is mentioned. He's, a, he's an official and it says that he's an official four times, probably because he's important in the community. And being a synagogue official means that you're in charge of the synagogue or you're one of several who are in charge of the synagogue. And so he's going to be one that is responsible for gathering the community together, the singing of Psalms, the reading of the Torah, the teaching of the word. He probably wouldn't be the teacher. They would have a scribe of some kind. He was a Pharisee. And so you know the company of people that he's around being a Pharisee. Just a couple chapters earlier, these are the same people that wanted to kill Jesus. And so the company that he's with, the people that he's around, they want to kill Jesus, but he finds himself at the feet of Jesus needing a miracle. It's a very powerful thing as he comes out from his crowd, as he comes out from the people that he's around typically to receive a miracle. It is a miracle in and of itself for this man to come to the feet of Jesus, knowing the people that he's around. But there's something more important about Jairus than being a synagogue official, and that is he's a parent of a 12-year-old girl who's dying. And there's nothing worse than seeing your kids suffer. If you're a parent in the room, you could just say amen to that. It's very difficult when your kids are suffering and they're struggling and you would almost give anything to see that suffering cease, to see that stop. You do almost anything. And, and yet as parents, we're brought to places where we, there's nothing we can do. I, I, it's a torment when your child is sick in the night and, and you want to take away that sickness. You'd take it on their behalf, but there's no way for you to do that exchange. And so you just have to be there with them in their suffering. You have to stand with them. You have to pray for them. And what we know here is, is that there's a certain kind of pain that the parents go through even while the kids are suffering as well. 
This girl's dying. And so that's, a, that's obviously part of this story. But what about the pain of Jairus? That's what we're reading about. That's the one that's drawing from Jesus, the one that's crying out to him saying, if you come, something will change. See, you can do something about the suffering of my daughter. And he, is, he believes that. In fact, he's got no other options. There's no alternative for him at all. I, I think it's safe to say that Jairus and his wife have done everything, but now they're desperate. And, and that desperation has been converted into a type of prayer and intercession. And I think that's a word for us as parents today. If you're a parent and you're praying your kids into the kingdom or you're praying that protection over their life in a dark time in a difficult culture and you're praying over them and you feel a sense of helplessness or hopelessness and you're wondering how they're gonna turn out or how they're gonna make their way in the world or if they're gonna love Jesus, I just wanna tell you right here, like we need to turn our anxiety and our fear and all that stuff into intercession for our children. That's what we have to do. And so with the pain of the parent that we experience, it's gotta be converted into intercession so that Jesus hears our concern for our kids. Something very powerful we see in this passage is Jairus chose to put his faith in Jesus for a miracle. He fell at his feet and he begged him. And his expression of faith is powerful. Come, lay your hands on her and she will get well and live. That's definitive. He's saying, if you come, she will live. Now, again, he's one of the Pharisees. And so he has a position and he exchanges the position among his peers for a position at the feet of Christ. I mean, this is what it required for him to have that miraculous working and really receive from Jesus. While all of his friends want to destroy him, he wants a miracle from him. I mean, this is really a change of events. And I can't imagine what his friends were thinking when Jairus was on his knees. I mean, they're probably like, get up off your knees. What are you doing? This is the guy that we want to kill. This is the one that we want to destroy. This is one that make, is making a problem all throughout our land. Get off your knees right now. He is no real miracle worker. He is filled with demonic spirits. Remember, they even called him demonized. Get off your knees. What are you doing? You're embarrassing us. But see, he exchanged his position in the community for a position on his knees before Jesus. Now that's commendable when you think about the miraculous. What was it about him that pulled that power from God? It was, he had to, there was a cost to it. He had to give something in, in order to receive. There's the truth to that. And maybe we don't often think about it, but I don't, I don't think this man's life was ever the same. I mean, even though he's looking for that miracle, I mean, I think when it comes to his friendship circles, when it comes to his standing in the community, he exchanged that. It doesn't talk about Jairus after the story, but I can imagine it didn't go well for him to be at the feet of Jesus in this way. But his daughter was worth more than his dignity, his status, his position. As parents, we watch our kids go through all kinds of painful things, but we have a pain that we go through as well. And that's what we derive partially out of this story is, is there's a, a type of pain as a parent that brings about a discouragement and you feel reduced to helplessness. I can't tell you how many times that Bridget and I have gone through some kind of thing with our kids as we're praying them through dark times or whether their body is sick or maybe their soul isn't in the right place, their spirit isn't full of God, they're full of all kinds of other things. 
and we're praying them through. We're asking the Lord to move. You know, I mean, there are times where Bridget and I fasted and prayed and sought God, and we're probably going to have to do that a lot more in our future. And we've done it before. We're going to do it again. But it's, if you're a parent in the room, I just, I just want to tell you, friend, you, you and I cannot give up on our kids, and you and I cannot become so overwhelmed and discouraged by what is happening and even by what our eyes see. We've got to believe that our kids can have the miraculous of God touch them. And if that's where you are today, if you're in a place where maybe you don't know where your kids are, you might have adult children and you're worried about them, you're concerned about them. I want to tell you, put your faith in Jesus for a miracle in their life. And there's no other way for us to move forward. We've got to believe that God can do stuff that we can't do. And there's a time where we get to the point of helplessness. We get reduced down to very little and you feel like I, I can't change this. And you know what? You're right. You and I are right. We can't change everything about our children, but God can. When I was 19, that's what happened to me. My parents were praying and fasting and believing God to bring me out of the darkness and the chaos. And one day he did it and he did it supernaturally. There was a miracle that happened in our home. My parents really didn't have anything to do with that other than what Jairus did. And Jairus was on his knees crying out to Jesus, if you come to my home and you put your hands on my dying daughter, she will live. And that's what he knew. And I don't know how he got there, but we need to get there sometimes as parents as well. And so be encouraged. And there's a second part of this though. Jairus didn't only put his faith in Jesus for a miracle, but Jairus had to choose to keep his faith in Jesus to the very end. Now, I don't know if you picked this up from the story, but look at this. Jesus is on his way to answer the cry of this desperate father, but another person gets in the way. Verse 24, as Jairus has come to my home, Jesus is on his way. Jesus is on his way, okay? Jesus is on his way. And all of a sudden, a woman steps out of the crowd, comes behind him and touches the hem of his garment, touches the, his robe. And Jesus stops. Everybody say stops. <laughs> Jesus stops. And Jairus is still there. Think about Jairus. This is a story within a story. Jairus is still here and Jesus stops. And now he's attending to another person that is suffering. But Jairus is over here just tapping his foot. I bet you. We were, Jesus, you were doing a good thing. You were on the way. You were on the way to respond. But you might want to call this a divine delay. How many of you have ever sought God for something in your life or for your family and you're asking him for a miracle and there's ascension in which God's gonna move and he's working and he's doing something and it seems to stop. And now you're in this waiting pattern. Now you're, now you're having to like sort of sit there on the side and, and tap your feet while God is answering the prayers of other people, while Jesus is moving in the hearts of others and you hear the testimony of your brother, or your sister, and you're trying to celebrate with them. You're like, hey friend, I'm so glad that God's moving in your life. But you in, internally, come on, let's be honest today at church, internally you're like, well, why isn't God doing what I asked him to do? And you don't even want to say it out loud. You don't want to use your real words. And so you say, you don't want to use your real words because that would be, that would be not, not a proper etiquette. But you feel that way sometimes. I don't know about you. And, and you want to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, but you don't know how to feel about yourself. It's a divine delay. And how do, how do you handle the waiting? How do you trust God when you're waiting for something to happen? Particularly, we're talking about us as parents. When you're waiting on the Lord to move in power and to do a miracle in the lives of your kids. Oh, friend, I want to tell you, God can give you a patient endurance in that season, and he will, and maybe you need that today. And so the best thing that you could receive from what I'm talking about 
is for God to give you a type of endurance, a second wind. He can give that to you. He can give, maybe that's the supernatural that we need today. We need a second wind because right now I just feel depleted. Right now I need to be replenished. Right now I need to be strengthened. And maybe if you're in that place today, God will just give that to you. He'll be the wind in your sail and he'll carry you through this season so that you can keep contending for your kids. Well, Jesus heals this woman and they continue to walk towards Jairus's home where his daughter is there. But wouldn't you know he receives the most discouraging message a person could ever get in this expedition that they're on. A servant from his house comes and says, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? Why even have Jesus come? Just, just let him go somewhere else. But Jesus looks at Jairus and says, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And so now Jairus went from needing a healing to needing a resurrection. But see, listen, to Jesus, it's all the same because he's the great physician, come on, and he's the resurrection and the life, and they're about to learn he's both. And so Jairus listens to Jesus and says, all right, <laughs> we're just gonna keep going then? And they keep going. And they end up at the house. And when they get there, the Bible describes this scene as a commotion. There are people weeping and they're wailing. And, and in those days, they paid professional mourners. Now, I've never considered putting in my resume for a job like this, but some of you'd be quite good at it. Is that true? <laughs> Don't look at your spouse. Don't look at your spouse right now. It'd be bad. Don't look at your, or your kids. Don't, but... <clears throat> but they paid professional mourners. And so they were really good at wailing and, and there was all this commotion and Jesus speaks to that. And he says, why all this commotion? Why are you weeping? Why'd you pay these people to come out here and professionally mourn? The child has not died. The child is asleep and they all laughed at Jesus. They had their moment of laugh, but then Jesus goes into the room and picture what he does. He goes into the room and the 12 year old girl is dead. Her father sees her dead for the first time. And I can't imagine the emotion that he experienced. But Jesus walks right up to her dead body and picks up her, her hand. And he says this to her, little girl, get up. Some translations would say, little lamb, get up. And you know what she does? She gets on up. Come on, you better smile right now because this is no fiction story. Jesus spoke to a dead 12-year-old body and said, little girl, get up. And she got up. And this is in incredible. The mourners stopped, the laughing stopped, and Jesus' resurrection power was on display. They were a witness to a miracle of God is what they just saw, and nobody could deny it. This is who Jesus Christ is. And all of a sudden, what was hopeless is now filled with hope. Jairus had to believe Jesus to the end. I mean, it may feel like it isn't that long, but I bet you it was painful even in this stretched out story when he had to sit there and wait while Jesus is answering the prayer of another. And when he gets the report where his daughter has now died and he has to believe Jesus when he says, don't worry, just believe. And he's like, all right. And he gets to the room and Jairus has to look at his daughter and his daughter's dead. At every point, Jairus had to choose, I'm gonna believe Jesus until the end. Friend, I wanna tell you today as, as parents or as people, we have to believe Jesus until the end. We believe Jesus until it's all said and done, until it's all over. There's no other alternative. There's no other alternative to give up believing, to stop putting our faith in him, even for him to work. 
Sometimes we throw in the towel because he hasn't done anything. And I would tell you, I would rather, and I encourage you to contend until the end. I would rather believe God until the end and not seeing it happen and enter into his glory in a resurrected state than give up somewhere along the way and just say, well, at least I'm saved. That to me is unacceptable. I would rather believe and be bent in toward believing God to save, to heal, to deliver, to touch, to provide, because I know that's who he is. And if the only way that I meet him is in eternal glory to see all of those things answered, then so be it. But I wanna encourage you to believe until the end. And that's not just some sermon because my words will be tested in my life just like they will in yours. We're all gonna get tested for the things that we're talking about today. What I love and what I'm deriving from this story is that this wasn't just a pain-filled parent. This was a person who was gonna have to believe Jesus for the rest of his life in every aspect of his life. And that is for us today as well. So maybe you and I, maybe we're believing for a child today. Maybe that child is all grown up and we're believing that they would love God. We're believing that they would serve God. And that might be the biggest miracle that you face. There's nothing more that you want than to see your child walking in the Lord, strong and moving forward. And this legacy that we see perpetuate throughout from one generation to another. And that's all that we want. I wanna tell you, keep believing God for your kids. If it's hopeless, keep believing God for your kids. That's the greatest place to put your faith. And we also have in this story the, the desperation of a diseased woman. In verse 25, the Bible says, a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse after hearing about Jesus. She came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I'm gonna get well. It's the same faith that Jairus had. If you come to my house and lay your hands on my daughter, she will get well. She thought, if I just touch his cloak, I will get well. Immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Jesus, perceiving in himself that power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And the disciples said what the disciples would say. I'll try to do this well. You see the crowd pressing in on you and you say, who touched me? You know, they're just always aggravated. <laughs> it's always thinking naturally. And he looked around to see the woman who had done this, but the woman fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him. Now she's taking the same posture as Jairus. She came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, look at the affectionate, endure, endearing term. Daughter, your faith has made you well or whole. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. The first part of this is the woman was fueled by her desperation rather than her discouragement. Why would I say that? It's because clearly she's not named like Jairus in this story, but her condition is absolutely detailed for us. It says that she's had a flow of blood that hasn't stopped for 12 years. Notice that she's been suffering for 12 years and the girl was 12 years old. She was probably weak from anemia. She had suffered much at the hands of many physicians, which, which means she had gotten all the medical care. She'd gone to the doctors and it says that she was out of money. So she was broke. She spent everything she had. She went to every doctor that she could so that she could get this medical care. She was trying to be responsible. And the Bible says that as a result, of her trying to get better, she only got worse. 
Have you ever experienced that before? You tried to do the right thing. You tried to steward your health. You tried to get better. You tried to do whatever you were supposed to do as you're believing God, but things just got worse. Sometimes things do get worse before they get better. That's actually an attack of the enemy. When you begin to press into God's kingdom, you'll notice that that's when the enemy sort of is aroused to begin working against your life. He doesn't care if we just sort of skate through uh, religiously, but it's when we start to make some kind of advance. I can prove it biblically that he actually starts to come against us. He wants to build a wall so there's no advancing whatsoever. You start to pray. And maybe it's been a long time. You start to read your Bible. You start to pray for your kids. You start to take steps towards the Lord. And guess what happens? You get a little bit of resistance. That's actually a biblical thing, not only just in a natural perspective, but also from the enemy as well. And this woman, she's done everything that she can. And I, a couple days ago, it was actually, yeah, yesterday, Saturday, I went down the, the rabbit hole and uh, in research. And I was reading like what they would do to bring about healing during that time, 2000 years ago. Now, some of the medical remedies that I read were laughable and some of them made me wanna cry. I mean, honestly. I mean, I was, I was reading one where they were looking at infections and they would take the wings of a locust and basically a whole nother cocktail of, of other ingredients and they would smash that together and make sort of a paste out of it and they would put it over infections. And the minute I read the wings of a locust, they just sort of lost me right there, you know? And when, when I was reading these remedies, I mean, in some ways it felt like magic. It's what it felt like. It, it sort of reminded me of some kind of movie that I've seen that's from Disney where if you just, or some kind of thing where you put this, concoction together and you lather it on yourself, you'll get better. And I thought, surely we don't believe those kinds of things in our culture, do we? And yet we do. And yet we feel like there's miracle potion and there's all kinds of things that we can do to better. I mean, I'm not suggesting for a second that our medical community and our medicine today isn't advanced and there are just wonderful breakthroughs that we experience um, as a result of God's wisdom today. Aren't you thankful for the, absolutely. I mean, just incredible. But listen, no matter how far we get in our medical advancements, we're still not God. We're just doing the best that we can. And if you're a doctor and you're a nurse in the room, you know that, you know exactly that because there are things that you can't explain and there are things that you can't do, even though we are as far as we are today. And I'm thankful for it. But there are still today, I mean, when I've got one time, I got sick once, many times, and I had like things, I swear, they were like dropped off at our house. And, uh, and a couple of them, you know, I tried and I didn't get better at all. I just want to tell you the, the report, but I, I had people give me so many little things and I just thought, man, is this thing really going to like heal my broken leg. I just don't, I just don't think if I drink this, like that's going to get fixed. You know, I mean, just, it feels like today, sometimes we're looking for anything to make us feel better. And I just want you to feel the pain of this woman. She was in that place. I'll do anything to feel better. And there's no shame in that. There's no shame. I mean, they, that's what desperation will do. It'll drive you to try things that you know won't work. Now, there are all kinds of things that might be helpful, but she also is experiencing an incredible amount of shame. If you have time today, read Leviticus 15, and it talks about how a woman who's experiencing, it would be like a menstrual cycle, but she, is ha she has a flow of blood that hasn't dried up 
for 12 years. And it explains how you are to be within the community. And the word that comes to my mind is the word quarantine. She's not supposed to go to the market. She's not supposed to be around her family. She's not supposed to be in this crowd. She's making, she's taking a massive risk to even do what she's doing here. And it kind of reminded me, and uh, again, just, you know, don't get offended at all. And if you do, keep coming to church and we'll, you know, we'll help you. But <laughs> do you remember when, three, two years ago, you remember when uh, we got the news that COVID-19 uh, was a virus that was spreading across the world and nobody knew where it was from? And do you, do you remember like, you're supposed to stay in your home and you're not even sure if you can go around your spouse. You know, you're just sort of like, and some of you are really excited about that. You're like, your spouse wants to come hold your hand. You're like, I'm not sure if we're supposed to do that. I don't think, I don't think the CDC said that we're not, I just don't, you were a little too excited about that part of it. But you know, like, do you remember going outside for the first walk and your neighbors were across the street and you're just sort of like, You felt like somebody was gonna call the cops on you. And if you call the cops, they're getting thousands of calls and they don't even answer anymore. Do you, do, you do you remember that time? Like it was crazy. It was so crazy. Like we were quarantined. And, and again, I can easily pick off our leaders and that's not my point. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to make fun of anybody, but it was so crazy. Like you were, I remember walking outside and just looking at neighbors and you're not even sure if you could say hi because that might like send some kind of virus at them. You just might spray on someone and you're like easily a hundred feet away, you know? And, and, uh, and then you're like, you got to wear a mask outside and it's like 100 degrees. That was crazy. You couldn't be around anybody. Don't touch me. Don't be around me. Don't talk to me. Don't even call me. <laughs> this woman, this woman probably felt like that on the other end all the time. I, I don't know how to explain it, but that's the, what, what comes to my mind is like, she's on the other end of being this quarantined person. Nobody else has to be quarantined but me, but she lived that way for 12 years. I can't be around anybody. I can't talk to anybody. I can't come close to you. I can't touch you. I mean, that's sort of the feeling that she had to live with. I can't even imagine the suffering and the shame. And it brought her to a place of desperation, even though it seems reasonable that at this place, she would give up. It just seems like you would give up. It's a miracle that she didn't give up. At 12 years, she makes a, a decision. And here's the decision. This woman chose radical faith when she heard the testimonies of Jesus's power. Verse 27, after hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. Amp the Amplified Bible says, she heard the reports about Jesus. Because testimonies to a desperate person are like food to the starving. This story right now, don't think of it as a fictional tale. Think of it as something Jesus did in response to desperate people. When you do, you realize this is a testimony that you and I need to hear so that we can contend for the miraculous of God in our day as well. She stepped past the 12 years of pain and shame and she had this crazy radical thought. If I just touch the hem of his garment, he was probably wearing an outer robe. It has two tassels in the front, two in the back. And she had this radical thought, if I just come behind him and I touch that tassel. I mean, just a little piece, just like one of these. If I just come and I touch that, that's all I gotta do. That's a radical thought. I just gotta touch that. If I touch the hem of his robe, nobody, maybe nobody will see me. 
but I know that I'll get better if, if that happens. And we know that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened, is the power of God, the virtue of Jesus was released as a result of her radical faith. And maybe you're here today and you need to hear the testimony of Jesus. And I say to you that God's still doing miracles today. God's still doing miracles today. He's a miracle working God. And you hear the testimony of Jesus and I would tell you contend. I would tell you pray. I would tell you not give up. I would tell you to press on in because he's still working. He's still working. We'll look at the compassion of Jesus here as we close. The first thing I wanna tell you is Jesus responds to our prayers. I've already said it many times. You notice uh, verse 24. Let me say it to you again. In verse 24, Jairus is on his knees He's crying out to Jesus. And as he's saying to him, if you come with me, my daughter will live. And the next verse is Jesus walked with him. Isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't say a word? It says he just went with him. See, sometimes when we pray, we don't hear anything from God to assure us that he's answering, but he certainly is walking with us. We don't hear a word, but Jesus is with us. I think it's profound. He is responding to our prayers. Even if we don't hear, even if he doesn't say it to us, he's responding to our prayers. And the second thing as we close is Jesus responds to our acts of faith. Perhaps this is the most powerful part, at least to me. When the woman with the issue of blood comes up behind Jesus and touches the hem of his robe, Jesus is looking around and he says, who, who, who touched me? And the disciples thought he was crazy. They're like, everybody touched you, Jesus. Who didn't touch you? Can we get a show of hands for who didn't touch Jesus? They're, they're trying to help Jesus here in this moment. Like everybody is grabbing on you and touch. I touched you, Jesus. I did. We were in the boat. We were touching each other. We were knocking into each other. Everybody, what are you talking about? And they're trying to counsel him. They're thinking like he's saying something really crazy. And, but Jesus felt power flow out of him. Think about this. Jesus felt power flow out of him. Everybody was touching Jesus, but when she touched Jesus, she drew power out of him. Why? Because it was a radical act of faith. There were a lot of people there in the crowd, but not everybody were in the same place in their heart. What does that tell us today? That tells us that he responds. When we move forward, when we move toward him, he responds to us. The Lord responds to our simple acts of faith. And that might mean for us, he responds to your prayers. He responds to us attending a class. Maybe you have pushed off something for a long time and you don't see it as an act of faith, a movement toward God. He responds to us starting to read our Bible starting to spend time doing the things that we know we ought to do, the things that he's put our heart towards, but maybe we haven't followed through. God responds to these acts of faith and whatever small or large they might be, God responds. He does, he will. I can't tell you how many times as a preacher and somebody gives prophetic words, I have watched just simple acts of faith where I've said, hey, today, here's the word of knowledge. And if you respond to this, I just believe if you stand up in response to this word that the Lord will heal because he always heals what he reveals. When I say that, I cannot tell you how many people have just simply stood up and as a result of that, something happened in their body. And you know what's funny is we always want the hype crowd. We always want somebody to freak out and then we wanna see it for ourselves. But did you notice what it says in the passage? 
It says that the woman felt that her blood had dried up. Nobody in the crowd knew the miracle had even happened except for her. And that means that you and I can walk out of this room and have a miracle happen in our body and no one else know except us because we had some power encounter with Jesus. See, we think that the miracle has to be on display. We think like Christianity on TV where they bring people up and say, this person's been suffering for, I mean, they make a circus out of it. That's what they do. They make a circus out of it. You know why? Because it sells and it makes money. I'm gonna say it. I'm just gonna say it. That's what they're doing. They're putting people on display because my ministry did this and give to my, that's what they're doing. They're using people. Jesus doesn't use anybody, but he wanted to say something to the woman. He said, who touched me? Not because he wanted to present her as some validation for his miraculous ministry. He said, who touched me? Because he wanted to look her in the face and say this to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Now check this out. Now go in peace. Perhaps she has never known peace for 12 years go in peace. And she walks away in a type of peace that she can't remember and she's never had before. Maybe today we need to walk away in the peace of God. When I pray, I pray, last night we, I prayed for our church. I pray every night. I pray that the shalom, the peace of God, which surpasses our understanding, which rules and umpires our decisions, I pray for the peace. When that peace comes, it silences the churning and the turmoil. It doesn't settle every issue in our life, but it gives us that state, that quality, that condition before God where we can keep praying when maybe we felt like giving up. Go in peace. When the woman touched Jesus, she received her healing. It was a radical act of faith. A couple things here. The Lord Jesus has power to heal today. If you need a miracle, let's pray for miracles today. Can we do that? And the second is there, there are no somebodies and nobodies before Jesus. Whether you're a diseased person or you're a synagogue official, whether you're old or you're young, you're a man, you're a woman, you've been a great Christian this week or not, there's no somebodies and nobodies before Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful thing? We all stand the same. And I'll tell you this too, the Lord is never too busy to be interrupted. In fact, he wants us to come and he wants us to come today. He's never too busy. We're always on his mind. And he's got our details down. He raises a girl from the dead. And the next thing he says was, could somebody get her a sandwich? Because she's pretty hungry. Think about the Jesus that you serve. He thinks about the spiritual, the supernatural, and the practical all at the same time. What a wonderful God that we serve. A God of the miraculous. Would you stand with me today? And let's pray for some miracles in this room. And I'm just going to ask it as we pray. If you need a miracle, whether that's a healing, a deliverance, or something for a person in your life, would you just raise your hand today? If you need a miracle, you actually, Ben, I need divine intervention in my life. And so let's convert that, whatever we're feeling, that we come to God today in the name of Jesus, we pray, Lord, today we stand in need and we stand declaring that you are God. You are God Almighty. You are a God of the miraculous. And we ask you today, Lord, that you would come through. We pray that you would move in a powerful way and do what only you can. We yield ourselves. We submit ourselves to you. We give you our pain. We give you our problems. We give you our disease. We give you our children. And we ask you, Father, that you would move in a mighty way. Holy Spirit, would you heal bodies all over this room, all those online that are watching today, our brothers and sisters. 
Father, we ask you for miracles and, and maybe we won't feel it this minute or see it right away, but we still believe that we can walk out into our car and we can receive right there. We believe that as we go to sleep, we can receive right there. As you're not restricted to this building, nor are you restricted to this prayer, but I pray that you would activate a type of faith in us that we see in them. So Lord, help us to obtain that place today, that posture to receive from you what you'll do. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you look at us today and you say daughter and you say son. Thank you that you don't look down on us, but you minister to our hearts. If you're here today and you came and you haven't found Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if I asked you, are you forgiven for your sin? You don't know what you would say. Maybe I think so. Or maybe you just say no. If I asked you, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Is it real? Not just religion. I mean, I'm glad we're here and I'm glad you're watching online, but do you know him personally? Do you love him with all of your heart? Is he Lord? Is he savior? Has he brought you to a place to look you in the face and show you how much he really loves you? Do you know him? Friend, if you don't know Jesus today, if you don't have a relationship with him, if you haven't been forgiven of your sins, you can be today. And the, the greatest miracle is to have a new heart. And God is the only one that can give that to us. He doesn't just wanna make us better. He wants to give us a brand new heart. He wants to give us a brand new life. Stop trying to get better and give your life to Jesus. If that's you today, our pastors are gonna be up front. We wanna pray with you. Come forward, come forward. Have the kind of radical faith that draws you forward today, that you take those steps all the way up here and you tell somebody, you tell me, you tell one of our pastors, I need to pray, I need to give my life to Jesus. Today's that day for me. The greatest miracle in your life will happen. It'll happen inside your heart. Don't leave here today until that happens. Come up front, we'll, we'll take as long as we need to. And for the rest of you also, if you need prayer today, if you need to agree with somebody for any type of miracle, Let's make this weekend a weekend of miracles, not because we can produce them, but because we serve a God who does. Come on, we serve a God who does. So Father, we thank you. We bless you. We love you. We serve you. And we're amazed and we're in awe of you. So come among us in your healing and your miracle power. We thank you. We receive it in Jesus' name. Everyone said. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org, or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.